This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hey, this is Jesse. My name is Luke. And I'm Greg Marguerite. How's it going, guys? Good. I'm doing okay. A uh, little bit disappointed with the timing of this podcast recording. I wasn't expecting to uh, be up at four o'clock in the morning. Sorry but about here that. I am. No problem. We've got to get a time that works for all people on all planets in all time zones. Yeah, well, n- next month I'm going to be in, in uh, New York. I'm going on holiday to New York for a month. So for next month, I'd actually be more in better time zones if we'd have just waited for a week or something. But hey, we've got to get it in sometime. That's right. And we're going to yeah. talk about uh, Earth Abides by George R. Stewart, right? Yep. Yep. That's the idea. I thought, I thought this was uh, going to be a good book, and I was surprised. It is an excellent book, I think. What do you guys think? Well, lots of people have actually recommended this book to me because I just uh, re- read and reviewed um, Lucifer's Hammer. No, not Lucifer's Hammer. Yes, Lucifer's Hammer. And lots of people said, oh, that's all sort of like, you know, them people rebuilding or trying to rebuild after a sort of like a post-apocalyptic kind of event. And loads of people said, oh, but it's no way as good as Earth Abides. Earth Abides did sort of post-apocalyptic living better than anything. So this for me was recommended in a, in a like as the best um, post-apocalyptic novel that there is. And uh, to be honest, I was really, really impressed with that. I really enjoyed it too. I mean, it's the first time I've read it, and uh, yeah, I thought it was amazing. It lives up to the hype, I think. I think yeah, that I, it is one of those few books which people literally were saying, this is the best of its kind, and I actually can see their point, even though I haven't really thought about it, because I'm, I'm not really good at saying, this is the best book of its no, kind. No, but it's, would... it's definitely a, uh, a lost classic. I, I, I've been reading, I'll let Greg speak in a minute, but I've been reading a lot of <laughs> science fiction for a lot of years, and I keep thinking, well, you know, I've read all the greats. Uh, maybe one day someone will write another great book, and I'll be able to read that, but I guess I've read all the greats in the past, so what can you do? And I know I have not read all the greats in the past. Well, I, that's the way I'm looking at it, right? I, and usually when ah. people mention a book, I think, yeah, it's probably a book I'll read at some point. But uh, this one had sort of been completely off my radar. What's your oh, opinion, okay. Greg? Um, I I read it, God, when I was like 13 years old. Oh. So you know, so um, but but and I, and it was great to reread it again. I got a whole new thing about it that. I didn't pick up the first time. Um, but I, the thing that impresses me the most about it is that it is, the exposition is extremely calm. And that's what freaks you out about it. That's what keeps the tension going. Yeah. He very calmly and methodically describes what's going on uh, as if he were an impassioned observer. But, you know, he's not. Uh, but well, that's the, that's what he tries to set himself out up as. He's just all right, right. I'm going to be a, a student of history, of the history of the time after this, um, and he, and he tries to he tries to detach himself from a lot of. You're talking about the main character, he's, right? He's yeah. the main character, well, yes. and we spend so much time in his head that that's what we're getting. Like, yeah, so that's, it's, that's the it's tone pretty of, pretty so. much his his point of view. But it does, sw- especially in early in the book, it switches out, and you know talks about things outside of what the character knows yeah it's it's very vivid and deeply imagined i i I didn't mean to take away from you know i mean i I just think that um the 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 primary reaction i've heard people have to this book is that it's really sad and i didn't have that 
that reaction, but I was trying to understand what the, the sad horror of it was. And I thought that the calm method of exposition, just laying out the facts very simply, page after page, um, is what's really scary about it. Well, the uh, mm-hmm. Isherwood becomes depressed at some point in the a book. You know, well, let's 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 set it up because yeah. we're just talking about yeah. this, and probably a lot of people. No, so let's set it up. So it starts off with um, Isherwood. What's his Williams, name? Isherwood. I think Williams. Yeah. Otherwise known as Ish to himself. Um, so he's out in the hills. Um, in and he's a, he's a student. What's he actually studying? Is he studying history? Geographer. No, oh, geography. Yeah, ah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. But I wasn't quite sure what he was uh, exactly what he was studying. But he um, he picks up uh, he's he's just found this hammer, and as he finds a hammer, he uh, he's like, "Oh, this is pretty good." But as he picks it up, um, a snake bites him. A rattlesnake bites him. So he has to suddenly deal with this rattlesnake rattlesnake bite out in the country. And it just so happens that suddenly a worldwide um, pandemic or epidemic or whatever it's called uh, sweeps across the entire world and, and wipes out like all but a very very small handful of people and he's just there and I think he thinks it's something to do with being bitten by a, a rattlesnake is what sort of like a, uh, like made his body he, as he was fighting the rattlesnake or the rattlesnake poison cancelled out or this, maybe um, an immune reaction or something right? yeah or some, cause some yeah. kind of immune reaction it's not exactly explained but it, I love that it's not explained I love that yeah. Like he, he mentions he does, it, it right, and then you get another yeah, example. A bit say, later. Oh well, maybe, and and then it's just left unknown because we don't. We'll never yeah. know. Yeah. And yeah. So, I, go ahead. On, no, go ahead. Go go. Oh, I was just going to say that's that's something that you know I've I've had this discussion before with people about what you know how how do you define science fiction and 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 I say there has to be a speculative idea and it has to be integral to the plot but it doesn't have to be a big deal you don't have to give me all the nuts and bolts and you don't get right. any nuts and bolts you know if you think about like flowers for algernon the 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 operation that makes him smart is like a half a page you have no detail about it at all but if you take away that operation the whole book falls apart yeah and that's what makes that science fiction. And I think that this is another good example of that. There aren't much in the way of nuts and bolts here. But if you think the logical but nuts and bolts, but not, not a, a, to what particularly uh, caused okay. the disaster, right? He has philosophical yeah. nuts and bolts. But he, yeah, he, I he mean, doesn't... but also the nuts and bolts is sort of like, uh, like, I mean, maybe it's not a science fictional thing, but it's the extrapolation from like what would the, the society, well, not the society, what would the world be like, you know, and how the world crumbles apart and how everything, exactly. will, you know. That's sort of an, an out uh, outgrowth of this uh, like first um, thing, but I think that's very science fictional in a way. Like all of the extrapolation afterwards, I think is. The, I, I agree. What I meant was that he doesn't try and figure out was it a virus and get a microscope and uh, get yeah, some yeah. tissue and that. Yeah. I mean, nuts and bolts. Yeah. I mean, there's there's very little yep. science in the science fiction, but there is this germ of an idea that is not gone into in great deal. No, I. I understand, but I'm saying that the yeah. science part is the is what how he talks about what the world would be like afterwards. I think there's a lot of science and a lot of very good observation there, a lot of. Uh, but like you say, the the the, the central, the central uh, crisis, which I can say is sort of like this worldwide epidemic or pandemic, um, isn't. Yes, you're right. It is sort of like left unexplained, and how the people survived is also left unexplained. I do like it how some of them are going. Hey, oh, have you ever been bitten by a rattlesnake? And everyone's going, yeah. no. And then some people are like, yeah, I was. And they're like, ah, maybe that's it. And other people are like, no, no rattlesnakes here. And then you're like, oh, maybe it isn't the rattlesnakes. So that's a like a little theme throughout the book. Um, too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say uh, the 
the the the the science part of it for me beyond the 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 disease itself which we don't get a lot of is is a combination of the social psychology of the characters of how, what people are like and i i think yeah. i understand people better after reading this book which is something saying something right I, it's not like you go into a book and you know you come away changed every time when it change when a book changes my opinion a little bit or my outlook a little bit then I think that's a, a powerful book. And so in that way, I, I think it worked. But also the, the, what it would, the world would be like when the people are gone. He talks a lot about how the, the plagues of locusts come and the plagues of rats and how they're all right. related to the, the breeding cycles. And, and that is all kind of like hard biological science fiction, if there's such a thing, right? Yeah, there's lots of supporting arguments for the ramifications. Like, if you remember, lice disappear mm-hmm. because they are so dependent on That was, that on was us, almost poetry there. That, that yeah. Like yeah, almost poetry. I mean, you could yeah, and I like how it. the common cold, the common cold disappears as well because there's not enough people to pass it around and to keep it yeah. going. Whereas yeah. everyone gets measles. You know, it's just everyone does. You know, and it, it's it's one of those strange. You know, these little other deli- diseases that come up and go. And then there's that. There's before the mice. Uh, the, no, not the mice. But before the rats. There's the ants as well. Mm. And suddenly, ev- there's ants yeah. everywhere. And suddenly, yeah. one day, they're all just gone. Yeah. Which is a great. Which is actually a, a really great sort of like uh, a comment on the actual uh, like overpopulation of the earth. And and it's one of the main things is that because the Earth is overpopulated, a disease comes along and wipes it down to almost nothing. But then the same thing happens to the ants. Suddenly the ants are roving too much, and suddenly one day no ants, and it's just right. A, there's a one there's a law the that law yeah. that kills crowded fat species. You know, yeah. Well, like, I'm not sure if that is a law, but it's 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 interesting that he actually he, says he, that's he one of the laws. Extra, he extrap. I mean, yeah, he's extrapolating from real science, real actual, real yeah, world I'm just stuff, is that, and and then. I would say he's guessing a lot as to what is going on rather than projecting, oh, yeah. right? And, but the but way some he of this guesses which I is very effective. I was like, the way he guesses mm-hmm. is very effective because some of it seems logically explained and others are left mysterious. And that's how the world really is, right? Is A lot of it's easily understood and a lot of it's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that sometimes I wasn't quite sure if it was, if it was the, the author – um, uh, you know George R. Stewart. Have we even mentioned that George R. Stewart is the author of Earth Abides? Have we even mentioned? We the mentioned. We mentioned. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, so um, sometimes I wasn't quite sure if it was the author saying, "Ah, oh, this is the overpopulation," or if it was actually Ish, the the, the main character, because because I I just think the the character voice takes it's. I often I was forgetting this was actually written in third person because it feels mm-hmm. just so much like yeah. like I say you're so close into his head. Um, that sometimes I wasn't quite sure if it was the author saying this because the author knew it, or like you say, the uh, the the character saying it because the character knowing it, I, and I wasn't sure if about the ants. I thing. think they were supposed to be interchangeable. I mean, yes, you know. and it feels like yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. an ecologist, and it, it's pretty clear to me that if uh, George R. Stewart was not personally an ecologist, he he studied enough to to become very familiar with the subject. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There, there were some things that bothered me about it. Uh, well, the main thing that bothered me about it was that he, that there's no will to power. There's only a will to live. Um, yeah, I don't if you know. What yeah, I'm it didn't about. show. It didn't show up in the book. I don't think there was, except for the character of Charlie, right? And his was no, not necessarily I, that. It was just um, he wants what he wants, and what he wants, he'll take. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, I think that like Spinoza and Schopenhauer and those guys, they they said that the central thing was their survival instinct. And that's one side of the coin. And then Nietzsche came along and he said, you know, perseverance in a static world, you know, is not enough to explain human activity. And so he created this thing called will to power. Uh, because the world is constantly in flux and, and, and we try to impose order on it through activity and, and mastery, action and control, that sort of thing. And that's the central motivating force for human energies and the source of creativity. Uh-huh. And I tend to believe that, but the book leaned more towards the Spinoza Schopenhauer thing where, because everybody was lazy, they, they wanted to survive. But, you know, I can't believe how long it took the guy to get to the library. Yeah, I, just yeah. to just to go back a bit over the story, I guess, because what happens, he's one of the only people left alive, and then he, after a tour around the country, he settles down in his own home. I mean, he doesn't even find a, a better place to live. He just goes, oh, well, well, my parents, I've always lived here, my parents lived yeah. in this home, and he just goes back to San Francisco, and he just sets up in his own home, and then he, you know, and then he sets up his new society in his own home it's not it's like yeah because we can just go and get the tins from the shops and we don't even have to worry about farming we don't have to worry about this and i just found that amazing that he was like you know he he went across the whole country to find other people and then in the end he was just like mm, i'll just go home i let you say is that just yeah. and he was just like yeah but i'll be okay here but but i think that was also the the trend of all the characters in the book right it, everyone was going home and it's just it took him a little longer than yeah, the other people. I, I can see that. Yeah, but I'm just saying yeah. it's that sort of like just the will to survive or just get along and be lazy, almost be lazy about it. You know, there are other groups of people that are mentioned in the book who are actually doing more stuff, and these people are farming. These people have horses, and these you know, people have a, things, but, a wacko religion. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But but you know, like you remember when he first shoots the cow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he cuts yeah. out its liver and goes home and eats it. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe the guy didn't. I mean, the first thing I would do is go to the library and get a book on how to render game. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he can't fix a battery. He can't. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that just blew me away. I mean, the very first thing I would do is go and. <laughs> well, there's lots to... of library love in this book. In fact, there's probably more library love in this book than almost any other book I've read. But. Well, I'm not so sure because if you read, like you say, if you read Lucifer's Hammer, there's this whole character, there's a scientist character who has all these books on how things work and does this, and he wraps every single volume up in a bit of plastic, in a plastic bag, and puts in some mothballs, and then wraps them up and then stores them all in a, um, in a, what do you call it, in a septic tank that's like deep under, like under his back garden, which is, okay. you know, and he puts it in there and he's going to keep it all in there. So he's actually saving the knowledge because he knows it's going to be very important for all the people afterwards. And again, it's just that I think, I thought it was amazing with Isherwood. Like he's obviously like got his head screwed on in some ways, but he's, he just goes, oh, well, I'll just put this, I'll just put, I'll just hammer this bit of wood over the doorway to the library. And that's it. I mean, there's nothing else that he... Yeah. Well, he has sort of an ambivalent relationship with it, right? I mean, yeah. we get that feeling he's that, he's not, that he's not doing enough. We get that feeling that he's not doing enough. But he, is, he's, he also is very respectful of it. But in the end, he thinks, you know, you know after a certain point in the novel, he, he sort of gives up. And he says, you know, we're not going to be the people that we were and if we're going to be those people it's not going to be in my lifetime right right i think that it is it's a it's a it's a function of the 
the, in 1947 when it was written, because the, the characters had to be ignorant out of laziness. Whereas, because in 1947, I mean, you could, you could understand technology without any special tools. I mean, you, you understand a carburetor a lot better than you understand a fuel injector. Mm-hmm. So uh, you could have, if you set it today, those people could have the skills, but not the access to the gear to actually fix the fuel injector, and that would change who they were. The thing that that would be a interesting, that, yeah. It just I I never thought of it that way. What if if the setting was moved up to the present, it would be very different. Well, right. It, he he has to have this device in the plot that makes the people lazy and ignorant. And because he's trying to get to a point, and I agree with his point once he actually gets there. I just wish that, you know, in 1947, he would, would have been able to figure out some way to keep the characters from being ignorant out of laziness. Uh, well, I, I, I found that one of the most resonant parts of the book in, in the sense that um, there are a lot of people we, we send to university these days, but... That we're sending them there because it's a socially appropriate thing to do, not because they have an a- actual aptitude and a love of yeah. learning. And I, I mean, I just look at the the majority of the production of anything, and you can see the mediocre is is very well loved, and that the the. I mean, the depression he gets in the novel is kind of like the the feeling I have when I talk to a lot of people. It's just you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to have a conversation about much other than the weather because right. they haven't read a book since they were in university and they didn't like it when they did that there. And and why is dumb so cool? Uh, I because I think it I doesn't require it. any thinking. <laughs> it doesn't. But why it, is it that doesn't, cool? It doesn't require it. You know, the thing is, is if, if you're an intellectual person, you wouldn't even ask that question. A, a, a non-intellectual person, you wouldn't even ask that question. If yeah, that is in- such. Actually, that is such a good point. That's very clever. Like, if you're gonna be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the only people who are intelligent enough to question the coolness of lack of intelligence know. You know, Possibly. even conceive that exactly. it is cool, and or, it's, it, or notice that it it shouldn't be cool, and it is or something. Yes, it's a bit strange. Yep, and we don't have as many kids, and so we get more and more outnumbered. Well, yeah, that's the uh, theory. That's the theory that you know, I don't. I don't agree with. I, that, I'm not sure. I think. I think it can be. It can be spontaneously arisen. I'm not sure that genius begets genius because I know there's a lot of uh, geniuses who haven't um, produced. Uh, True, you know, and it, it it may be that it it's not particular particularly related to genetics, and um, I, I don't I don't you know I see stupid kids coming out of intelligent people, and intelligent people coming out of stupid. So, I, I think when you get back and do the big statistical numbers, though, there's going to be a gene pool influence that says, you know, two smart people get together and they have a kid with a slightly higher IQ. I believe there's a nature-nurture aspect to the thing. But I think if you're talking about the billions of people walking around on this planet, if you match them up, you could make the race smarter. You could make it taller. You could make it smaller. You could do whatever well, you want. Well, I think, I think taller you, you can probably make a pretty good case for easily. But I'm not sure that intelligence is, is keyed that way. Uh, and especially not in the the kind we're talking about, because it it's more. It may be that it's just a particular interest, right? 
Some people take an interest okay. in some things and other people take an interest in another thing. And one thing that people take an interest in is thinking, right? It's, a, it's an activity that yeah. they enjoy and they practice it. It's, it's what yeah. they do. It's all, like, I, don't, I don't think of myself as a particularly um, genius-style person, but I know I'm bloody intelligent because I've read so many goddamn books. I know a lot more than the people around me, and that's just a fact. Um, but I don't think you know it's because of um, superior brain power. I think it might be superior so, interest. So you don't have any sort of innate property in you. It's it's it it's entirely nurtured. No, obviously, obviously, you know, if I I had some sort of defect, we have we've got one character in the story who's who's got a, a sort of an unknown defect, right? What's her name? I was going to say Emmy, but I'm not. Oh, um, it's Evie. Evie. Okay, Evie. Evie. Yeah. Emmy's the wife, right? M. M. Yeah. M. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's that short for? Emma. Emma. Okay. Emma, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> Shows you not always the brightest light in the room, but uh, yeah. the the fact that that she she we don't know what happens to her, and he sort of plays the you know we can't let her breed because we've got so few people. Uh, it'll dumb down the 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 race is is sort of what I guess was that what you yeah. were saying, Greg? Um, um, well, yeah, in reverse, yeah, absolutely. Um, you certainly agreed with that, right? I mean, not not that Evie should or shouldn't be able to breed, but that if, if the possibility it, of a child coming out of Evie being it, it would depend on what the nature of her her defect is. If if her defect is, uh, you know, from a brain lesion. Um, that that's not likely right. to be repro- reproduced. And the thing is, is they even say that they even say that yeah, exactly. in, the, in the book. Yeah, yeah, because we don't know what she was prior to the thing, and the thing may have been what made her mm. learning Indeed. disabled. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think she had uh, any particular look to her other than vacancy, right? Right. I, I'm not trying to argue for eugenics here. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, I think that if you took statistically, and, yeah, statistically, you you would you would the curve of IQ would go up if you put smart people together and made it them have would kids. Would seem to it would seem to make sense, but the problem is is finding uh, finding that that test right. So the IQ test is the is the the standard one, but anyone who I know who's taken the IQ test and scored high on it, um, I haven't. It's not commonly taken in North North America. Or, this area, anyway, so Canada. Um, right. It's it's not about um, necessarily the, the ability to ask questions that are deep. It's a it's Correct. about it's native about ability, ability to take a test. A, a native ability to test on something that's particularly constructed for test. I mean, it's it's all about. It's yes. just like uh, polling, right? It's all about the question. It's not about what the answers is because the questions form the answers. Exactly, which is to me, I mean, this, you know, this all goes back to basic physics for me, the observer's position in the universe. So you can't put together a survey that isn't biased. You can't create a test that isn't biased. You can't theoretically, you know, understand the psychology of another human being for that matter, because you yourself are one and what you see is affected by who you are. I I sometimes think I want to make one of those, you know, memes that, people send out to each other by email and the one that you know i would just assemble a list of questions that like do you think what the government did to alan turing was wrong and 
the only thing I want to have is, is a sort of a sentence that follows that. And that they ho- hopefully didn't use Google to find the answer, right? If they know right. the answer to that question um, and they said anything other than, uh, I don't know, no. <laughs> if they said no, then I, I, think, I, I think it's I think it's good because the Apple logo is meant to, I, I've heard the Apple logo yeah. is meant to be a, a reference to it. So, and I think it's a really cool Apple logo. I think, so I, think oh, I, I think I looked it up on Snopes and it's not, it's not. Oh, is it right? Okay. No, I'm just saying that just to prove that I know who he is and what they did and what the consequences are. You know, I'm yeah, just but saying see, it's that. not a test of intelligence I even. I'm sure there are lots of intelligence. Right. It's, it's, it's a test or... of, of whether I want you knowledge. to be... I, it's, it's like, make a, I knew I wanted to be friends with Greg Marguerite. I knew I wanted to be friends with him because he kept recording stuff that I said, oh, man, this is good, Right. He kept picking things that were interesting for uh, his recordings on LibriVox. So I said, oh, this is a guy I would like. Because a lot of other people, they, they sort of just pick random things, it seems like. Or yeah. they just, I don't know, they're, they're picking their interests. But I knew... Don't get me started. <laughs> I knew, oh, God, this guy's got to be my friend. I've got to find him and try and cajole him into, into being my friend. Because then we, we could talk. And, I, and here we are. Here we are. Let's get back on this book, though. I mean, I, we're, okay. we're yeah, still okay. on this. Should we? But I, I think I know. I know we, we, it's it's a wide range, but because I, I think it, this is this is the kind of book which it, it's got so much in here that we can we could yeah. probably talk about like ev- like all these tiny little parts. I mean, I I didn't I couldn't even make notes as I was going through this book because I was so into it. You know, yeah. I was I was so so absorbed in it, and I was so taken up with the with the writing and and the 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 issues and the topics and the themes that it kept on bringing up just like every i mean i was listening to it as an audiobook but every you know few minutes it, the the main character ish had sort of changed his mind about something gone in a different direction and then changed his mind or gone well it's not always changing his mind but always had a new realization and and stepping from this this bit to this bit so yep. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, as a continuation of the story, he sets up a little, not like a commune, because I guess a commune is where you shut off the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is dead. So it's not a commune, it's like well, a little he calls, it, he calls it a tribe. Well, they call themselves yeah, the tribe. Yeah, they eventually right. call themselves so. a tribe as a joke, and it sticks, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just him, a, a woman he finds, and then some other people who come along and they start having kids. And I guess don't, we don't need to go too much into it, but it's really, the story is you know, after the setup is really about the the establishment of this little tribe with Ish as the as the figurehead, even though he's not really a born leader, but he's the only one who's got the college education. I mean he was halfway through his college education, I guess, when, when oh, he the, was in when graduate the, school. Yeah. Oh graduate school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I knew he was still a student, but um yeah. uh and and he's there doing his thing uh, and and trying to keep people, and so of course the kids, he's trying to teach them to read, and of course they don't really, it doesn't, they don't need to read because you know they don't. I mean, why do they need to read? You know, it's it's a lot of stuff going on there with that. But really, that's the story and about the different dynamics and the different people who come and go. And I don't think we need to go too much into the details. No, but there's uh, lots let's of assume stuff. that everybody who's listening has read the book or is going to read the book uh, as soon as they yeah. start listening, because. You know, but I'd also like to say one more thing. If you're this, no matter how much we talk about here tonight, oh, true, will not do it. this book yeah. justice. True, you, 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 this is so well if written. We, if we, if we just sit let down and Greg read, it for read the rest of the book 
for the whole podcast, then then it would be enough. But it's not. You're going to have to sit down. And I'm just to, I'm just saying that I think it would be I think it'd be a bit pity to say who survives until the end or you know and that kind of stuff because there are there are some real emotional impacts when some when some people yes. who you hope are going to get through maybe don't and other people who you know it's it's a bit strange and I I wouldn't want to give that too much of that stuff away but we can talk about all the rest of it like I say without spoiling some sure. of the uh, some of the uh, the processes there. So one thing that I'm really impressed with in this book is um, is the talking about sort of like the I'm not sure if he had because um, uh, this is this is quite soon after the Second World War, isn't yes. it? Let me look. Yeah, forty-seven. Yep. Nineteen. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, does he know about the cargo cults, and is it too soon for him to know about the cargo cargo cults after the after the Second World War? And if people oh. don't know about the cargo cults, that's when you know people. That's going to um, be another question in, on my my list. <laughs> a coke what? bottle in the. Yeah. Would you ever be a yeah, member of a cargo cult? That would that would be. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, but well, cargo, there were cargo cults in the 19th century that I know of. So yeah, I'm they, just saying they, that it's yeah. it's. But the, the ones that you really know about is the is these uh, South Pacific islands, which the the, yeah. the United States went and they set up airfields on them. And uh, it's actually quite an interesting topic because most people think, oh, yeah. people, these people are stupid. But a lot of them actually had some kind of messiah figure to, who came along. They're still going said, though. That's the amazing thing. Yeah, right? no, even with amazing. modern 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 contact, there are still people However, who are maintaining the faith. And that's yeah, however, if yes. it's actually, it's actually, if you if you read about the, or if you find out about the the beginnings of these these uh, these cults, they actually had a figure who said, "If you follow me, the gods will come down and defeat our enemies and supply you with you know with this stuff, and there'll be these miracles." And then they did follow him, and then the United States. Um, navy or whoever it was did turn yep. up. So it's it, there was it. There is actually that's like the some... Montezuma and Quetzalcoatl story, right? Yeah, in yeah. a way. Um, have, yeah. Have you ever seen the the gods must be crazy? Yeah. No. Nope. That, yeah. That's that's similar. Similar. Yeah. It's no, a, it's an Australian movie uh, about an uh, an isolated Aboriginal group and a Coke bottle falls out of a plane and completely remakes their society the, the, yeah. the various uses they have for the coke bottle it's it's that kind of approach to things so yeah that's yeah i guess that, that, that could be the same same kind of thing as this but i'm just saying that this is is a really nice uh view on the cre i'm not creation of a religion but a creation of superstition and this is something which isherwood um the main character is really dead against however yep. nothing nothing he can do can stop it you know all his best intentions about not setting up a new superstition and not being this sort of godlike figure who knows everything and knows science and is is like a wizard you know of yep. of the day um and it's really strange how it doesn't matter how rational you are about something you will attach irrationality to things well not irrationality things you will and i find it so amazing that by the end of the book he's actually saying oh and that's because i'm a god and he's like no i'm not a god <laughs> those are good lines it's because yeah. i'm a messenger from a god and there's like, oh, oh, I, I think it was and, it was very important that the, you know how they keep pinching him they pinch yes. their god to make him wake yeah. up and stuff yeah and you know there's a there's an old jewish proverb that i think it's if god lived on earth people would break his windows yeah. um 
and and so it's it's that kind. I mean, I think it was very important for him to set up on one side that he was being uh, turned into a god, but on the other hand, he let those people pinch him, which mm. which brought him back to earth again, turned him back into a human being. There's a there's yeah. a, a a sociological phenomenon in in small tribal groups as well, where <laughs> people who people who live in a small community who have a traditional leader, you know, a, a tribal leader, a chief of some kind, um, the chief's role is is not ceremonial necessarily, but um, it is full of ribbing, right? It is uh, not, it, it's almost like a fop, because he, he has no uh, ma- guns to match, you know, his position, right? But everyone recognizes that, yeah, he's the leader, but, you know, he He's just he's just another guy, and he can be poked fun at, right? Yeah, and and that's what I was getting at is that you know they could actually petition their lord with prayer. They could they could mm. pinch him. Yep, and they demanded an answer. It's a, probably exactly. the most interesting yeah. book about pinching I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the yeah. only book that has a lot of pinching in it, and it's yeah. it's uh, it was it was almost. Um, you know, it's almost heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but this, what's heartwarming? Go ahead. No, no, carry on. Because I was going to go somewhere else. What's heartwarming is that, yes, he has to face the taboo and the religion, the witchcraft, the shamanism, the totems, all that sort of stuff. But towards the end of the book, he learns how to play it. Yeah, he, he embraces it. He uses it to his advantage. And he actually essentially saves humanity by doing that. Sure. By giving them the tools, I don't want to do a spoiler, but yeah, but he uh, he does help out them. in a way that that you yep. wouldn't expect in the end, you know, because he's all like, oh, it's got to be reading, you got to be learn to read, and you got to be intelligent, and you got to be educated and stuff like that. And actually, he comes to realize that that's not the only way it can be. Yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, he 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 has to let go of the past. And and the whole thing leads towards his letting go on the last page of the book. And I won't say what happens, but, um, you know, he lets go once and for all and realizes that it was okay. You know, it, it, essentially, he puts the loss in perspective, in context, and is okay and, with it. And the you are almost okay with it, too, right? At the end of the book, you you yeah. followed his, his journey, you know, uh, no, we can't lose these. These are our most precious resources, and yet nobody cares. And so, what can we do? Uh, and he's despondent, but um, he comes to accept it. And you are almost like, yeah. So the library's going to, you know, molder away and burn down. And yep. What I mean, what the thing is, is what does it really matter if if Humanity's dead, right? If you read the story, the Star, Arthur C. Clarke's story, the Star, right? Sure. Um, the humans come and discover this ancient civilization died three thousand years ago, and they've left all their wonderful works of art, and and we're there to appreciate it. At least that's the 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 good takeaway from the huge negative, which is they died because Jesus needed to be born, right? There's a spoiler yeah. for you. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that cat's out of the yeah, bag. Yeah, probably. Well, I, this one is too, I think. But it, yeah. yeah. The, the, um, the thing is, is it, you can rationally accept something, um, 
but it's much easier to emotionally accept something. And and I've been talking with Scott about you know what, why books have to be so goddamn long. Well, this one was appropriately long because it's making a, uh, an intellectual argument as well as an emotional argument. The intellectual yeah. argument is basically about the earth, I think. And the emotional argument is about how we should feel in reaction to things that happen. And yeah, I was I was moved by it. I was I was moved intellectually and emotionally by it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I actually thought about tearing up once or twice. And again, I won't spoil anything, but he hooked. No, me. I'm definitely there, and that's very very rarely that a, a book can sort of hit me at that level as well. I mean, me uh, I can't even. Can't even remember the last time it happens quite a bit in movies. It happens with music as well. I can listen to music and tear up. I mean, there's even a few times at this juggling convention that I went to um, in Finland, and someone did something on stage, and it was more. One of them was very much a dance thing, but another one was a juggling thing, and I, I can get it. But when reading, especially actually listening to an audiobook, it's very very rare that it, it, so it can actually affect me, so I can sort of feel that lump. In my I wasn't quite my there. Uh, I, no, I, I, I know I can totally that. see it. I can totally see it, it. But there was these times, and, and I and I do just to say that the uh, what's what's the name of the the narrator of this? Uh, of that the, would be Jonathan um, Davis. Right. Jonathan Davis, amazing who narrator. who did the yeah amazing narrator. I've only heard him do the uh, Pablo Bacigalupi, the the wind up girl. He did that, and also the the alchemist from the Alchemist and the Executionist, which is the bit that he did with Tobias Espakel. Uh, Pablo Bacigalupi said that uh, did that one, and um, and this is 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 a little bit brisker because in that he's sort of very it's very literary and he's very he talks quite slowly with lots of pauses like that. Well, uh, and- but this is. Carry on, Greg. I was just going to say that that's when I go back to the calm exposition of this thing. He was great at yeah. that. Is oh I mean, yeah, he it's just amazing. It he could definitely make your one flesh of the best. Crawl. Yeah, definitely one of the best narrations that I that I've heard. And I, I know I am sort of like I've only heard another two of his narrations before this, but it is it is sort of like a, a step up from the other ones that I've heard. Yeah, he's he's done yeah. a lot. He's done, he did all the Mike Resnick um, Starship books, and he's done a ton of Star Wars. But um, uh, you know, he's just He's at his A game. He's got the great material, and um, this is—I I can't say a bad word about this audiobook other than Connie Willis is not a great reader. Her in her what she read was great. Her introduction—I uh, didn't listen to the introduction yeah. actually. I always oh, skip over well, definitely go back and listen to it again. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. You know, she hypes up Connie the book Willis and she says you're, you're going to voice annoys me so much. Yeah, she's not got a great reading voice, and it sounds like she's reading it rather than performing it, but. But I don't care because it, it's a it's a good introduction. And that, that's basically the only quibble I could have with this this production is that, you know, her her voice personally didn't add that much to what is an excellent essay about introducing the book. And it's it's yeah, definitely go back and listen to that. Okay. Well, I yeah. always hate introductions before the uh, before the books begins. I just started listening to. Uh, well, I say started. I'm about five hours into. Um, a book by I probably have it here. Let me let me bring it up. It's called Deep Six by Jack McDevitt. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, he's like, "Oh, this is what I want to do with an audiobook. I want to get a character and put them in this situation, and then do this." And so in this book, it talks about and I and I was just like, "Wait a second, you just spoiled it!" And I'm still now waiting to get up to the point where we run off the end of the story, which he he managed to spoil within 15 seconds of the yeah, introduction. There is a danger there. And yeah. 
And I'm yeah. really disappointed because this book, I mean, the, the adventure that they're going on is really interesting. I don't want to spoil what, it, what he said, but seriously, if you read it, skip over the introduction. Always skip over the introduction because it, in this, it's like, I mean, I don't think they do it in books so much, but certainly for an audio book, it's like, like hey, I'm the author. There, there is a, it's I, a technical issue. I mean, it could have been an afterword yeah. and... yeah. Maybe and afterwards, yeah. I just couldn't believe it. And as soon as he said that, and I was like, "Wait a second, this is the book that I'm reading now." I mean, if it was like, "Oh, this is what happened in the previous book," and now let me explain what's going on. I mean, I guess I'll I'll go more into that on in my review of Deep Six. But I was just really disappointed because even now, like five hours in, I pretty no, much know. I always knew what was going to happen or what the, what the, like you say, what the crisis is going to be. Some books, it doesn't, you know, you know that already. Like in this book, I knew it was going to be post-apocalyptic, but. Right. Again, you, you know, you don't it's because it. when I read a, a book, I don't read the intro until after I'm done with the book. But when I exactly, listen to but a book, with an audio book, uh, with I an audio book, to it in the order it's presented to mm-hmm. me. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. tricky, and I don't normally do that. Yeah, but for some reason, it caught me out. This yeah, so it. maybe skip yeah. ahead. Um, I, I, I don't think it, it's particularly spoilerish in this. I did listen to it, and um, it, it does give some hints as to the the details and i think it probably would have been better as an afterword like you know the where isherwood's name came from i mean i, I didn't i didn't obviously make that connection instantaneously but it it did oh, what where does it come from uh it's or, well Ishmael or should we, or should we not mention? And, oh okay okay forget i said that scott <laughs> okay. cut this out <laughs> no no no, it's no okay. we don't yeah, we don't do Moby cuts Dick, yeah. so it'll be fine Okay. Actually, to be honest, if I'd have thought about it for a minute or two, I could have probably worked that out. <laughs> well, not anyway. necessarily. I mean, it depends on how... I mean, I think Greg would know because he's an American and it's an American story, but... Um, no, I mean, but how many how many other Isherwoods are there? No, it, it's not actually... No, it's, it's the fake, ish. Yeah, it's the ish. Right. Yeah, but it's the ish as well. But yeah, I guess that's the... That's the uh, um, yeah, because I always I kept on forgetting his name, and it's really funny that later on he sees his name again, doesn't he? And, and it's been so long, and he's forgotten his own name. He's like, "Who's this Isherwood guy?" Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, the same thing. I had the same thing in the way that when he actually worked out, he would sort of put in reminders of what his name was, and that he's not thought of himself as that person for a lo- such a long time. You know? Yeah. Um. For- what, what do you? Uh, let's let's skip around a little bit. I, I um. Okay. One of the characters I really, really liked, even though we don't get a lot of him and we get get him sort of through dim eyes, I guess, is uh, the grand great grandson Jack. Yeah. Um, I loved I loved his name. Um, I wonder how he, you know, how he got that name. I, I don't think it was mentioned. Uh, you know. No. But it, it seems like it, it was like uh, well, obviously it was planned, right? We we got to assume yeah. that he planned to name him that. Um. But I just I thought that that character came out really well, and he he, yeah. came, he sort of brought the culture that you know that those younger people had uh, through those dull eyes, and um, I I was I, I was very impressed. I mean, I'm not a character based. I don't read for characters, but I thought that was a really good. I mean, Isherwood's a, a fine character, but he's he's sort of us, right? He's our viewpoint character. He's a intellectual yeah. man so we don't bond with him the way we would bond with another sort of different kind of person and um um yeah maybe i think you know if if this were the 40s i'd cast spencer tracy to play the role he's he's more of a regular guy you mean of isherwood yeah uh, yeah yeah he thinks he's an intellectual i mean he sets himself right. up he's like oh yeah i'm the graduate student and if it you know and if i hadn't uh, if this disaster hadn't happened i'd be now i'd be a professor mm-hmm. in the university the I'd old be, respected you know, 
he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't be a professor in the university. He would be. He would go on to do something. He'd be an administrator or maybe a researcher or maybe. You think he's not? Work. He's not quite up to snuff. No, no, there's no way. I mean, he thinks he is the intellectual in this area, and he thinks about this, and you know, his his opinion of himself as a great intellectual. Yeah, he course, sort of does have a little blind spot, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, compared to the people around him, of yeah. course it is, because a lot of the other people around him aren't simple, but they're just not intellectual in the same way. So he's now, of course, later on when he's going, oh, yes, and if it hadn't been this, and he goes to his library and says, oh, yes, I could, be, I could have been a, you know, a, um, a professor here, and, you know, and at this point people would be looking up to me as this haloed old professor. And I'm like, no, they wouldn't. You know, you're telling yourself yeah. that, but there's no way he was that. So I think, you're right, he is very much more of an of an everyman, but just who happens to be dropped into a, a situation where he is more, well, he's more of the intellectual. Yeah. 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 You know, and if maybe, or maybe been that's me, just my opinion of him. I didn't, I, I just, I just saw him, uh, having a little, yeah, like you say, maybe a slightly higher opinion of himself. He does have, no, he's, I, I think he's very, very healthy telling. opinion yeah, of himself. Yeah. I, I think that I would have, uh, you know, like it's very important. The first time he goes to the library, he takes out, um, you know, Robinson Crusoe and the Swiss family Robinson and all this stuff. I mean, I would have taken out electromechanical engineering <laughs> and figured out how yeah. to keep the generators running, you know. And, exactly. and I, yeah, I didn't think a lot about generators, did he? No, and, and that's what I think is, it, that's what Luke was getting at. He's, yeah. He isn't. If he was, if he was the intellectual, he wouldn't have gone, oh, the water's failed. Oh, let's, okay, let's dig it. Let's dig a well. He wouldn't yeah. do that. He'd go. He'd be going along and checking the pipes. It's like going, okay, we're relying on this water. Where the hell does this water come from? Yeah, right, but let's I track think the down where he's exactly. not like that. I mean, I think the reason he's not like that is because that's not what the book is really. The the message of the book is not that right. His that his be, son right. Joey is more like that than he is. Yes. Much and different. he sees that in Joey, of yeah. course. But it's sort of like when Joey, when they, just a mild spoiler here, is that they go to they go and try to find a truck because they want to go, they want to go on a longer trip. So they want to yeah. find a truck, but it's been twenty two years, and really, yeah, of course, Isherwood does work it out, and he might tries to get the battery working and stuff like that. But it's his son Joey who's the one who goes, "Oh, we could just do it this way," and he's like, "Oh yeah, of course." Yeah. And it's like you realize that actually he is being outthought by lots of other people, and also his yeah, he wife, is surprised Emma, by well. people. Yeah, and yeah. his wife Em as well, and he's all like, "Oh yeah, this and this," but she's the you know again, she's the one or who's Ezra, holding no. things. Yeah, and Ezra, who's his, like, he's a good friend, but, you know, who, who understands people. You know, that's the whole thing, isn't it? He says, yeah, Ezra, he knew people and he liked people and people liked him and it was easy to get on with and stuff like that. And, of course, it's a different kind of intelligence from, from Joey, a different kind of intelligence from Emma and, uh, M and Ezra and these other people. And also yep. the character called Charlie as well. There's another whole thing there. And in every single one of these people, Isherwood... Um, ish, he, he meets his match in every single one of them. Yes, including George, the plumber. Yeah, including yeah as well. Yeah. He, Carpenter, he, he, also Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, but he also does he Carpenter. does the plumbing yeah, yeah, job. Yeah, well. Sorry, he's, he's um, always he's, he's, fixing houses, but I don't think he does any. Pl- uh, none of the plumbing works, right? I think maybe they start. No, no, no. It, well, it does. They did a well. Does, years, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it works for a long time, but it, they do say that George is the one who who helps with the plumbing too. But yeah, I mean, like I'm saying, everything, every person, every other like of these main characters that you meet, even his dog at the beginning, 
Yeah, it's like it, it's shown quite um, blatantly that the dog is using Ish. Uh, what was the name of the dog? I can't remember what it was. Princess. But, Princess, that was it. Yeah, so all the way through, or all the time that the dog stays with him, you understand that he's playing second, almost second to the dog all the time, you know. Uh, Of course, the dog helps him and he helps the dog, but really you understand that that relationship, that, like, he thinks he's in control and he thinks he's the master, but he even says, oh, no, uh, she she found me and she's adopted me as a master rather than... No, no, she's adopted me as... uh, or as her pet, or, or whatever it is, uh-huh. you know. As, um, yeah. But we get that, and that same relationship is reflected by every single one of these other relationships yes. that you realize actually him by himself would be completely out of his depth. He's, he's too intellectual in some ways, but not intellectual enough in the other ways, and all of these other people complete him as a person. That's what I find yeah. really interesting. It, it, that it, you, it, well, so it's yeah. exactly what we were talking about before, as you know, I, I say I make this friends list, Right or a friends quiz, and and the thing is, is this book is arguing against that, right? It's saying that oh, people yes. are not just, uh, you know, it's not just about what you know or what you read. It's it's also about, you know, the whole human species isn't about, you know, just intellectual activity. And and I think this book makes a, a very powerful emotional and kind of uh, rational argument for it. And that's that. That's why it was so changing for me. Is is I think. Yeah, well, no, I, I I'm riding high on my my intellectual superiority, um, my my uh, grasp of things because I've actually read something. Right, I, I know a little about what's what's yeah. going on. I care about what's going on, so I pay attention. I, you know, well, that's that might not be everything, Jesse. Oh shit! Really? Okay. Yeah, it's a great line in one of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy things where they say, oh, and all these three spaceships went and they put all the intellectual people on one spaceship yeah. and they put all the workers on the other spaceship and they put all the people who do the, the annoying jobs that nobody knows what the job is really yeah. there for, like telephone yeah. sanitization, things like that. Yep. And and the telephone sanitization uh, and all that class of jobs, that crashed on the way and everyone's like, oh, it doesn't matter, we don't need these people anyway. And then they all died two years later from an infection that they caught from a, uh, from a septic telephone. Telephone. You know, it's one yeah. of those things that you actually go, Ashley, society is all the different bits mm-hmm. and humanity is all the different bits. And you can't just go, oh, well, we'll just have the intellectual people. Oh, it'll be working now. Because yeah. you realize that if you have all the people who think that they're intellectual, it, you realize actually that's, <laughs> that's not right. the best set. <laughs> right. And Adams does, shows you the other side of that coin, though, because if you remember the the, the the pointless workers, they adopt leaves as a currency and the economy collapses and they all die. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true as well. That's a different that was the different one. That was a different side of it, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I, yeah. I could, uh, there there are the different sides of it, but I'm just saying that like like uh, it was the intellectuals who died out because the telephone sanitizer kind of people didn't uh, they weren't there to their jobs. If you're if you're right. talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide series, I, I, I just had an insight there. Um Maybe maybe the whole series is best treated as like uh, a canon, a, a religious canon like the Bible. It's not best read, you know, by sitting down and going all the way through, start oh, to finish. Yeah, it's better yeah. to talk about particular scenes and particular, you know, uh, the uh, if the electric monk is, you know, a, a scene that will stand out well in my mind. I don't know what book it's in, but I know that scene and. Um, I think that's not even Hitchhiker's Guide. I think that's a different, different Douglas Adams. Yeah, Adam. I think so. But, but there are yeah. lots of things like that in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Exactly. Uh, the, the Dish of the Day. Yeah. 
in in my uh, in my in my review of the Hitchhiker's Guide for my podcast, I say that the introduction of the of the book within the book of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's literally someone just said, "Oh, we'll just put together this," and it's a collection of lots of different bits and pieces, and it's not you know the 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 uh, Encyclopedia Galactica, or whatever they uh-huh. call it, is it is that, and it's a collection of scenes, and it's a collection of information, it's a collection of stories. That is what the the novel is as well. It's just a collection of scenes, it's a collection of stories, yeah. it's a collection of characters, and that's what those books are. So that's why you can go in and you can just pick out a scene, or pick out a character, or pick out a thing because it is what the description of the book within the book is as well is what the book is. It's a good point. And, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so if you think, I mean, he started out as a script editor for Doctor Who during the Tom Baker years. So uh, if you think about the way those books are constructed, they're constructed roughly along the same way that era was was put together. Uh, yeah. You know, an incredibly like a- amusing ramification of some stupid thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And mm. and then you play out the, the various sides on that. And And yeah, I think there's actually a lot of really tough choices i brought up dish of the day but you know i mean it, would you rather have an animal that doesn't want to be eaten but can't tell you or an animal that does want to be eaten and can tell well, you well that it, by you know, asking it, that question right you're you're yeah. uh, facing the reality i don't know the answer to that question but i do know that the question's important yeah i for me if i'm hungry i eat yeah well uh, the good thing about genetic engineering that way is is the the beast would say Please have more. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, exactly. my ribs well, are particularly I, succulent. Yeah, that's but I think it doesn't. Arthur then say, "I'll just have a salad." Yeah. He says, "I'll send him right out. I'm sure I'll want to talk to you, sir." Right. So yeah. Anyway, okay, can back, we, back to yeah, Earth can we pick advice. up on some yeah uh, some other themes sure. on this? Just a quick yeah. thing about um, as another compare and contrast with Lucifer's Hammer, which uh, I'm I'm guessing you guys might have yeah. read before. One of the things that I mentioned in in my review of that was that it was uh, I'm not saying that the book was racist, but the the view on it now it just seemed a bit weird that the forces of good were always re- represented by yeah. white guys. Um, and intelligent, rich white guys, and then the yeah. the forces of darkness was all the, the the black people and stuff like that, which I thought was a bit strange. And there was a very, you know, I actually saw an email me says, "Oh no, there's this character who's good, but the only the character, the black character who's good, also happens to be an astronaut and is actually held up as a token black man, mm-hmm. as the token good black man, the to- token like uh, credible and successful black man who who goes to space and comes back again and is oh yes, this black man's right. but." All the rest of the dark is about. You know, it was a bit weird. However, in this, I think it's a bit interesting because it's set and was written way before Lucifer's Hammer. Um, and even though it says, "Oh, this was a Negro group and there was this Negro family that survived," yeah. the, the the one of the main characters, M, um, is black. But we actually don't notice that well, until quite a now. Long wait a minute. Yeah, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, what's okay. the story there? Are two there? competing references. At one point, she says she's talking about Africa and says, "My people," mm-hmm. and yes. it. At another point, she's talking about Native Americans and referring to herself in the first person again. So I was at first I said, oh, she's black. That was cool for 1947. And then like, you know, uh, yeah, well, I'm saying that, later, that they she meet. was Native American. Uh, really Native American? I, 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 I have to go back I, The thing is, I, re- I think I think you've mis- misread. Shall I read the Wikipedia entry? <laughs> no, where okay. they've argued no. for, previously. Okay, so uh, there's, there are citations here, so people have argued about this. 
Emma is a woman who Isherwood meets in his hometown. The author may have been talking about a chance encounter uh, who is African-American while Isherwood is white. When the book was written, interracial marriages were heavily discouraged in American society. Isherwood does marry her, and race is important to the couple's relationship, rather than they become partners in the marriage in the community. Um, now, it's got a citation, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's uh, someone else's... Uh, website so we won't go in there so um it says she's african-american but um uh, let's talk well one of, one of the things no, let me, I, I think, I, no, I think, I think you're making important. a good a good point and especially like when you were talking about um in your review of no. oh sorry continue i know i'm i really i want to come back to this point when when he says she he she's a native american i never picked up on that as though as in like i don't I know, think it's a modern term, right? indian yeah, but I when she when the way that I picked up because one of the main themes of this book is that um, Isherwood Ish becomes the, the last American. He also, he he calls himself that at the, yeah. the end. But well, he's book. the last living one, right? He's the last living one. But when I heard that she, that M was a Native American, I didn't. I I under I remember the reference that you're saying now, but I never picked up that she was. Like American Indian, right? I'm not American. even sure if Native American was a. a, a no, I don't a think term it's a term then. then. Exactly. So, so right. when when they said Native American, I never even. I now I remember what you're saying, but I never thought of that. I picked it up as in she was natively American. She had a, like and like she was born into. She was born American. Right. She was an American national. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, that's more like that's more the kind of thing, and I think that's an important thing because I. I definitely picked up that she was either, you know, African American or, you know, black, as we would say, um, or, or I guess if you're a, a black American, you're African American, or some kind of mix and things like that. But they meet first of all, and then it's only after a while that Isherwood is like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're black, you know. And it seems to be that kind of thing. Well, it doesn't matter, you know. And it's then actually, they just pick it up. It's just a knockoff. It's just a reference that she makes when they're yes. talking about how well it worked for her people, and she happens to be referring yes. to Africa. Mm-hmm. She doesn't ever say yeah. she's – no one says anything. I mean, I loved no. it when I first heard it. I'm like, this is great for 1947, mm-hmm. you know. But Yeah, so that's what I'm picking up. So I'm just – I'm really – I wanted to clarify that I don't think she's Native American. I think that when he – if he does say Native and American, he's saying, you know, natively American culturally yeah, and – mindset wise and stuff okay anyway take it back. sorry jesse go back and, and talk about uh, Lucifer's well i was just I uh, uh, when i was listening to your review of it i was thinking you know i think luke's right i think there is that stuff in there i mean it is kind of strange but um i'm not a uh, to me people who are racist are people who talk about race if you talk about race all the time it, it must be because it's in your mind and you're thinking about it a lot right why are you thinking about it a lot well because it's something that either you're living with or something that you're dealing with, right? And the thing is, is race doesn't exist. It's a it's a, a sociological idea. There are what we call classifications, um, you know, color skin color classifications. But the 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 race test is bullshit. It's not a, it's not science. It's something, but it's not science. And so uh, when we talk about you know lumping things into little boxes or you know, sorting things into boxes, it just, it, it always rings tr- true to me as, 
is false, right? So I would think, why, why, why is uh, Larry Niven talking about this? Why is Jerry Purnell talking about this? Well, it might be social, uh, social level, right? Um, if you are uh, low social level, maybe you're more prone to um, violence. I don't know. I don't know what the stats are on that. What I do know is that it's a big deal in the U.S. It's a big deal. I don't know why. I don't know why it is such a big deal, other than I I know the history, but I, well, I don't I live the history. You. you know, I can answer that. Okay, for you. it's that the the people that you think of of thinking of race all the time, mm-hmm. they need to have somebody who's below them on the ladder, mm-hmm. and barring that, they're the bottom rung, and they can't live with it, and so they turn on Fox News. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm Ouch. not sure. I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that's the only people who watch Fox News. Uh, my understanding is no that a lot of the no, people, it's a wider audience. Uh, no, a lot of the people are are doing it for ideological reasons, right? It's it's part of their religion. Um, so one one of the things that Scott told me uh, that uh, we didn't mention in a podcast. Uh, I, I don't know when he mentioned it to me, but I, I thought, wow, that really is insightful, right? So the thing he told me okay. that was uh, just blew my mind is. You know, why is Glenn Beck the way he is? Well, it, it's sort of, you know, half half this and half that, but half half educated because he's read some books and half uh, crazy because of some other thing. Well, here's the key insight, right? The key insight is he's a Mormon, and Mormons of his particular ilk believe that the Constitution of the United States was divinely inspired. That is, um, the Mormon religion is derived in part from the Constitution of the United States. And so... He has a personal relationship and a personal stake in understanding his his country is is part of his ideology, and I said, "Whoa, I can't imagine like if if I was a religious person and I thought, oh, you know, this piece of paper written by a bunch of dead white guys or dead whatever guys or dead whatever women is really important to me." Uh, and it's part of my, you know, it's it's part of your everyday, uh, I don't know, legal system. It's what you're thinking about all the time. Yeah. Then, of course, you're going to be a little bit more wacko. Just like, just like I always say, you know, or, the reason Orson Scott Card hates gays is not because he's met lots of gays and he hates them because they're always coming on to him or whatever. It's because it's part of his ideology. It's part of his belief system. Uh, we're we're kind of getting off. To- we're talking about why Fox News yeah, works, well, but I think you know this book is a lot about religion and. Yet it's very innocuous. Like I, I think the way you know we're sort of dissing um, Isherwood's his intellect, but he he has the right attitude, anyways. He has a very skeptical oh, yeah. attitude, and and I like what the author, uh, I guess George R. Stewart, does with you know the various characters and their various belief systems, um, how they come to respond. In, and how that works out in in the later, you know, the superstition. Uh, when you, you guys were talking about that earlier, I was thinking, um, you know, we st- still pick up the newspaper today, and it's it's got you know the comic section and the weather section, and the astrology section. And yeah. every time I see that part of yeah. the page, I go, "All right, there's a whole bunch of idiots who actually get this paper every day and read it, and 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 I don't know, in take it in but, uh, something." You know that's an that's an excellent example of what we're talking about here. It, 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 is the universe a synchronous object? Well, probably. Can you, by looking at the objects in the universe, predict the future? Well, there's too many variables. So, 
you know, the pattern is there. Astrology, I mean, if you have a synchronistic view of the universe, then it would make sense that you can look at the things around you and figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. But can you gather that information by making a bunch of charts and looking at stars and who's in retrograde? Not, that's just not enough data to do it. So I think the fundamental idea, if we could have all of the information in the universe, <laughs> we, could tell the, we could tell the future. That's absolutely true, but that's not what's going on. <laughs> no, no, but again, I, it, it, and it, I'm it, uh, assuming that the you know the observations don't affect the outcome, right? Assuming correct, assuming that's correct. true, then yes. But I think that that Fox News is is a machine of hegemony, and there is no hegemony in this book. Nobody's playing those games. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely I right. Think, yeah, it's probably why I, I think this so is. Much. Yeah, I think this yeah. is one of those those books where even like the main character isn't a single um, idea. No, just, yeah, he, and he does evolve, I mean, even though he doesn't want to, or maybe not. Even, he does yeah, change. Yeah. He, he... Oh yeah, he goes through all kinds of changes all the way through the book. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't think this the, the the comments that this book is making about religion and the comments that this book is making about race and uh, and and society and stuff like that it is one of those books where by reducing it down to such a small group and just a, you know one or two people or three people or five people or you know however small you want to get the group to be and i think it's i think it's so powerful in that way that you can't apply it to well no you can apply it to the wider um wider society like saying oh and this is what this book tells us about fox news and political commentary and things like that yeah but see, I, I, I don't think that this book can it is for that i agree i agree there is no social contract yeah there's no government there's no none of the things we do as a group are in this book yeah. except for very small examples of them and so it's really about individuals interacting with one another not a society coming into existence yeah i found yes. myself you know i i was telling luke while i was listening to it i was saying you know I, I, I kind of like the first part. I, re, I think that's really good. And I was very much getting depressed at the idea of spending a lot of time with families. And, and yet it, yeah. it grew on me. And, and the, the sweep of it, you know, the, the slow pacing, you know, what happened this year and, and what happened the next year. And, and yet by the end, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I almost think it should be Earth Abides is, is one part of the book. And then I guess People Abide, right? the other yeah, part yeah yeah because well, I think, you know one of one of the things you can say is you know no matter how bad we fuck up our environment there's going to be fine i mean it always has always oh, will be yeah. we could detonate every stupid bomb we have and the earth would be fine and not yeah, right away but in, in enough time yeah, but it's persistent life is persistent right in the time frame of the planet i mean we're just we're just fleas on the back of this planet and if it wants to shake us off it'll be just fine and you know, go on doing what it's been doing for millions of years. So, um, yeah, and people do have an exaggerated uh, view of how important we are, and this book really cuts that down to size. Um, getting back to race for just a second, um, the one the one part of race that did come up, I was thinking about it as uh, you guys were talking, or for a second, anyways. Uh, that yeah. when when they decide to merge with that other uh, tribe, right? They find this other tribe mm -hmm. and. They have, I guess, real uh, uh, 
I was saying a contract, but they just choose to interbreed with them, right? And then, so there is right. a division within the tribe. You know, are you born of another, right? And I guess that's your father is is a. They decide for a paternalistic line, right? Uh, other yeah. than a maternalistic line, and um, uh, that seems to matter to Isherwood a little bit, um, at least. It didn't matter to anyone else, though. No, it it, it seemed it seemed. Um, uh, he seemed to say, you know, we could have gone either way, but or maybe that's George R. Stewart talking, saying um, uh, the American system could have gone, you know, yeah, uh, it, it had to be paternalistic. And I, I was thinking, well, is that true? I don't know. Uh, that 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 wasn't particularly clear to me. I mean, in a primitive society with uh, especially no external threat, like a no giant external threat, you know, other than a, the occasional bull that's uh, and yeah. you're on its grass. Um, I, I think that the maternal, maternalistic line would probably take over all of all of this, uh, and probably Luke, not Luke's area. Um, Greg, your area is all maternalistic, um, ma- uh, maternal-lined uh, native, right? It's because the, the threat comes from other native groups rather than from, you know, some... Correct. But no, when I, I think Judaism, it yeah, travels it does, through the mother, it does, and well, Islam, it travels through the father. So I, I think you can just sort of it based on your slant again observer's position in the or the universe, starting which, position i thought you know in, the, in this yeah. case uh i don't know maybe because we, we don't hear much about the other people but i i like that how he he says oh y- you look like one of us and it's like well your group is so small i guess it's only interbred like uh uh two three generations and yet you've got a look to you guys right and those guys yeah. have a look to them uh yep. and it's uh, it's entirely possible that that would happen I don't know. Yeah. 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 There, there were a lot of really nice touches in here, and it's definitely worth anyone who's listening to it. Definitely find this, read it, listen to it, whatever. Well, before, uh, before we go on, let's, let's talk about the hammer for, for a minute. What is it, a talisman? A uh, totem? What, what is this thing? It's I think a it's single a, jack. It's a yeah. single jack. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a hammer from the gold brush. Mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed I mean, yes. that she gave its real name because we were talking about Jack earlier. Oh, well. Ah, well, good point. But um, I think it's more of a totem than anything else. It becomes a taboo, um, but but it's a totem. It's it's a symbol of power. It's, you know, something yeah. you point to. to, yeah, but to uh, why that particular symbol? See, I get, uh, you know, I could get, I mean, I'm, is it rebuilding what 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 is the i mean oh, no. it, it's just the opposite it's smashing things it's power it's power to destroy it. everything yeah, he talks he about thor i guess everything yeah. that he uses it for is right. to break things apart there's very very few times where he ever uses it to drive in a nail in fact does he ever use it to no, drive in does. a nail no he does he does he does it on the library i think no he he yes true but he uh, goes, uh, uses it for all constructive purposes until you get towards the end when he starts banging on the uh, granite stairs yeah, actually, I would remember he he cut. They carved the numbers with the the hammer as well. So, but that's yeah, part true. of part true. of a ritual, actually. But for me, it was like all the time he would pick the, if he needed a weapon, he would pick up the hammer. If he needed to bash something in, he'd pick up the hammer. And then when he had the hammer, and he was like saying, "Oh, well, I shouldn't have had this hammer. It's it's become a superstition for me too." Then he finds some use for it, which generally is smashing something. It makes it makes yeah. a it's a, it's a, it, it's specially placed. It's not you know he, he's. Uh, George R. Stewart put this hammer in the story in, you know, it gets a lot more detail than most, you know, tools 
it, it's right, basically you, I, a right. you know magic sword for a, a fantasy novel. You could argue it's the main character. Yeah, I the, I would say that's it's a the good, main. That's character. a good. Uh, this I mean, somebody, it's, I, it's older than anything else, any anyone else in the character in the book. Yeah, I, I, this right. is why I wanted to save it because I think this is the story of the hammer told from Ish's point of view. Because literally, it starts with him find. And this is why I said right at the very beginning, he finds a hammer and then is bitten by a rattlesnake. You know, I didn't have to say that at the beginning of this review when I was saying what 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 the book is about. But I right. think it's very important that he finds the hammer. And and I don't want to give too much away, but the 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 the, the story ends when he no longer has the hammer anymore. This, like you say, the book begins with him picking yep. up the hammer, and the book ends with him putting down the hammer. Um, in again, I don't want to spoil it too much, but right. that is it. And yep. and I think that's not an accident, and it can't be an accident. No, if it is no, no, accident, no. It's deliberately it's, chosen. It's it's the yeah. most wonderful accident ever, right? Yeah, it's 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 a genius accident, and it can't be an accident. That's what I'm saying. If it is, uh, it's like I have this picture of this space, this spaceman on the wall on my wall. Uh, I, a listener to my podcast uh, uh, is a painter, and the and and so I was like, oh, I really like your painting. So I got a print of it, and someone said, that, you know, the, the spaceman with his arms outstretched. It is it is a, a reference to Jesus, isn't it? I'm like, I hope so. Because <laughs> if there's an artist. <laughs> Who has has painted a picture of a uh, of a of a of an astronaut like with his arms outstretched in that way, and it isn't a reference to Jesus. It's like he shouldn't consider himself uh, an artist. Oh no, he can consider himself an artist, but it's like yeah, it's one of those. Strange well, there's only so that... many poses that you can do, right? I mean, yeah, this is this is quite biblical. Uh... It is extremely biblical, but. Yeah. I'll... What I'm saying is, you know, there's only so many poses that you can recognize from. Now, I'm just saying that I, I think, I think that this, the, the, the hammer is is a constant companion of of the story as it goes through, and it's used thematically in so many different ways and, and so many clever ways as well. Like I say, almost every every one of the main themes of this book, you know, is somehow represented by the hammer, or the hammer comments on it in some way. Yeah, and used. I was worried when I first picked up that it was going to be a continuing thing i'm like oh man is this going to oh, be some is- hackneyed metaphor and, and no he yeah. did it he pulled it off it was he, great. he did and but the thing is i picked up on it literally as soon as he's like oh i pick up the hammer and i'll take it with me yeah like i knew it was going to be a main thing in the book it, yeah me too. you know and i don't know why but it was just one of those things that he says oh this is hammer shall i take the hammer Yes, I'll take the hammer. And just that decision to take the hammer at the beginning of the book, and I thought, well, this hammer's going to come in handy later. But it wasn't. It, but I knew it wasn't just going to be a, a storyline. Oh, this is going to come in handy. Yeah, later. but it doesn't. It doesn't play like it doesn't play the typical line. You know, Excalibur is, is for defeating. You know, it's 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 more of uh, a, a symbol of. Some, I'm not see. It doesn't play that definitive role of, you know. A central magical object uh, that's needed to, for some particular task. It's it's uh, it's what I say about the word jack, right? The word jack means doer, the thing that does, right? So a guy who's named Jack is he's a guy who can get things done. A black a black jack or uh, I don't know, yeah. uh, steeplejack or whatever it is. He's a guy out doing stuff, and that's why Jack Bauer is named Jack Bauer rather than Bill Bauer or something like right. that, right? Um, because he's the guy who gets things done and. And in this thing, it does everything, you know, but it's also, it it could have been done by a rock in almost every case, or it could have been done by... Uh, no, I think it had to be something yeah. made by man. This is a semiotic sign that the guy's trying to send through the book. I mean, this is... I agree. I agree. Yeah. 
But um, but but also he says at one point that he actually says at one point that this job could have been. And no, one of the other characters goes, "Well, you use the hammer. Well, you could have just used a rock for that. You didn't need to carry the hammer all the way. You could have just picked yeah. up a rock when you get there." And that's actually what another character says to him, and he's like, "No, this is a hammer," you know. And yes. uh, again, it's like commenting on itself. It's like you know the, the book is commenting and itself. Oh, you know the 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 author is commenting about his own you know choice he's going ah well i could have used something else but the hammer yeah 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 but he does use it for insignificant things he cracks nuts with it at one mm-hmm. point and so yeah. you know not everything he does is important it's it's that's why i like the the fact that the symbol was balanced it was a utilitarian mm-hmm. functional symbol of the tribe as opposed to some of the other tribes, because at one point towards the end, he starts talking about, you know, and this tribe worships that, and this tribe worships that, and one of them is, you know, a bunch of Jesus freaks, and I forget what they go through, but that, and then his tribe worships the hammer. Well, you don't, you don't say that he worships the hammer. He says he, they're led by uh, an old guy who has a hammer, but nobody really cares too much about it. Is it actually, he actually says something I, like that. I remember well. the word worship. Maybe I'm wrong, but I... No, I, no, no I, it, might have been, it might have been worship, that, but the point is that it's like, unlike the, the, the Jesus freaks who are like all, you know, really into it. Not sure, I'm not people. sure that they were Jesus freaks. They were just some kind of religious freaks. Yeah, like, well, yes. okay, well, I'm, I'm saying sorry. Jesus freaks. I'm saying, yeah, so there was like this hardcore religious cult and there was these other people who think this and there's these other people and then it goes, and there was this other tribe whose leader was this old guy who, you know, who mumbled a lot and you know, I think that questions. was not George R. R. Stewart. I think that was the character thinking about his own, his own. Uh, well, again, it's it's different. It's difficult to talk about. Like it's difficult to separate what's the voice yeah. of the author, what's I the agree. voice of the character. But at that point, he actually says quite specifically that the 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 uh, the character of the respect that the people had for him and his or the the, the leader of this tribe. Obviously, he's referencing himself or he's referencing the main character and the hammer isn't the same kind of respect that people used to have for, you know, crosses. You know, it, 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 it's specifically right. that, it, that it's not the same level. It's it's more of a like, oh, it's a custom that the leader has a hammer, you know. Um, right. And, right. And it, by that time, it's not a big thing. Let's let's you guys um, have seen the I guess the last man on earth and the, there's a whole bunch of uh, there's a, a a blog I found the other day or earlier today called the last man on earth and it's a blog just of collecting all the different stories George R Stewart's Earth abides is in there um, uh, this uh, what I was surprised a bit about this book is it it is completely different from all the other ones I've read um, it's completely different from I am Legend. Um, I guess it it looks yes. like a little bit like the movie in my mind. I was thinking, yeah, the streets are overgrown and the buildings are collapsing. There's a a TV series uh, called Life After People, which is pretty boring bo- to watch, but interesting in you know to see a, a snippet of right. It, yeah, the, the Manhattan's going to collapse first because it's going to be, be flooded out. Right, those yeah. pumps are in operation continuously, and if they're not in operation, it's gone. Um, so right. all those movies with you know the Statue of Liberty, ah, oh, Statue of Liberty, may, maybe that'll survive, but all the rest of the city's gone. I think. I right, know. right. Um, um, it, it, it feels different, don't you think? I thought it was. Yes, it was. It very different, and I think that you know one of the most telling things I read about him was that he wrote a biography of Bret Hart. And if you think about Bret Hart's, he's a Western writer. 
Is he? Oh, that's what you think. He's not really. You got to, I mean, yes, he writes, he was, you know, in San Francisco around the same time Twain was, and they were rivals and Twain thought he was a crappy writer. But if you actually read his stuff, it's, it's far more complex than like a Louis L'Amour. He doesn't write Westerns. He writes <laughs> good stuff. How do you stuff. spell Bret Hart? Um, B-R-E-T-T-H-A-R-T-E, I think. It's I've one done... T in Brett. I just looked okay. it up because I've never heard of him. And I was like, what? Who? Oh, really? You guys got to check this guy out. I've done a couple of his stories, but I've read a lot more. Um, you know, I, he's he's got a really nice touch. Um, there's always a little whammy in every single story, just what you're looking for. Uh-huh. Um, you know, clever guy. They're not Westerns. Uh, you could set them in the West, but they're not Westerns. Oh, The Outcast of Poker Flat. I've, uh, that's probably the only one of his I've read. That's not a bad one either, yeah. I think it is a Western, though, of some kind, isn't it? Well, they all take place out here. I mean, it, it's just that that's not really the central thrust of the thing. It's just so ha- just like the Earth Abides happened to take place in Oakland, but it could have taken place anywhere. No. Uh, mm, so Maybe. Well, all right. Not uh, There are many places in the United States that are equivalent oh, it, to it, Oakland. <laughs> yeah, it, it, could have, it could have been. Yeah, I understand, yeah. So, um, yes, they're set in the West because that was his contemporary era. Mm. Um, but they're not, they're, you know, they're no more Westerns than Twain's stories from that era are Westerns. You know, I mean, they're, I gotcha. they're, about, they're about people doing, you know, making hard choices and doing interesting things and stuff like that. But he has a very specific writing style. And, and I thought that I picked a lot of that, up, that prose style up in Stewart. That calm exposition I was talking about, mm-hmm. Bret Hart does that too. Uh, is that book uh, public domain? The um, I guess I, I I don't know anything about uh, George R. Stewart is public domain, is it? I don't think so. I'd love to I'd love to hear that now that you're bringing it up. Uh, well, there's there's tons of Bret Hart out there, and there's even tons of Bret Hart on LibriVox. He's okay. I'll check. Uh, get you to so, give me a list, and I'll I'll start. Down, I'll just look what you you've done and download that. I've done, see, I tend to do stories that nobody else has done. So I went way back and I did a bunch of his early stuff, a couple of early things. But his his later stuff is definitely worth listening to more than the early stuff. Okay. You, you know, it's just because I have this thing about not doing something that's already in the catalog. That's perfectly, perfectly logical. Okay. It is. I, well, the people who suggest, you know, who make suggestions to me, <laughs> I noticed in the latest in the latest production there was the the what's the Kurt Vonnegut story that everybody's got to do. I thought, oh. oh God, I thought we were done with those, but no. You know that's been very helpful to me. To be or not to be, we have so many copies of it that I was actually able to figure out the average reading speed words per minute for all <laughs> LibriVox. It's 148 uh, words a minute. So, it, was I, it, it was a suitable a suitable sample size, was it? Yeah, and it's it's pretty amazing. I don't have it here in front of me, but the, this this little story, you know, some people read it in 10 minutes and some people read it in 15. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's amazing the span of that. And there's a couple of stories in science fiction that we have that we just have a zillion copies of, and that's because people who first join LibriVox, they say, well, I don't want to do anything that's important that I might mess up. So <laughs> what's worthless crap? I know, science fiction. Oh. And so they end up in my short science fiction thing for a story or two, and then they go off and do what they were actually 
planning on doing when they got there. This is all going to be in the podcast, so be careful what you say. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm say, I would say any of these things in public. I don't have okay, any problem good. with it. Can I say some really nasty stuff now, too? Sure. Sure. Especially if it's no, about... No, I don't have anything. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll think of something in a minute. Get a fight going. That'll bring up the ratings. Yeah, I, I don't... I mean, you know, we all know that science fiction has been carrying this burden since the day it was born. So I don't think it's any great secret that people don't think much of it, you know, in terms of mainstream. Is that because, is, is that because they're too busy uh, not worrying about the question of why they're so dumb? <laughs> is that, or, or why dumb is, uh, why dumb I think, is I think cool? you've got a bit of a chip on your shoulder here, Jesse. I think I, you need to, need to dial, your, dial yourself down you know, a bit. You know? I, I, every, time I, every time I see something that says sci-fi, or I was just listening to a podcast earlier today, and... I thought it was going to be a little more, you know, even the, even the people who are reading science fiction novels are still saying it. And the reason I don't like it is because of the association. It, it's just, it's so important, and yet they're treating it like it's, oh, this little thing that you, you know, it's, it's like a hi-fi set or whatever. It's not a hi-fi set. Hi-fi set is, is, is not important, right? Hi-fi is a nice contraction, I guess. But yeah, that's that's what amazed not. me uh, about this guy who picked me to read his book for iambic. I mean, uh, if you look at my catalog, it's it's zap guns and and bug-eyed monsters, you know. And this guy's like a pretty big literary heavyweight in New York, and he he he. Like I said apparently he heard something there that he figured it was you know okay for me to do it, um, and so. I was shocked. I mean, I was absolutely shocked. Are you going to use a different setup? Uh, we didn't mention this in the podcast earlier, but you're doing a, a professional recording. Um, are you using a different setup, like a, I don't know. The problem is, if I could stay at home in my studio, mm-hmm. I would do that. But, you know, I'm on the road constantly, and this is a 600-page book, and so it has to be stuff I can travel with, and I can't travel with my $1,000 microphone. So, um, no, I'm using the same crappy shit that I use <laughs> for LibriVox. And well, you sound pretty good it. now. Is this your $1,000 microphone? No, no. This is my cheap piece of shit that I travel around with uh, mm. microphone. I'd like so, to hear the, the $1,000 one at some point. Well, I'd, I'd have to send you some of my musical recordings. I don't really do audio. That. Oh, do you got to do, do the definitive version of To Be or Not To Be if I... Uh, Kurt Vonnegut, and, then, I don't and do no one will ever do in the catalog, my man. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope that, that that means you're just going to continue to uh, scoop everybody else as new stuff comes up. Because oh, yeah. I saw you you had done uh, the secret of Kralitz, was it? Uh, Kralitz, yeah. Kralitz. Well, Henry Cutner. I'm I'm big into Henry Cutner. Me right? too. And and that's like his second published story or something, right? Um, yeah, and I also did a longer one of his. It's really good, called the Ego Machine. I don't know if you caught that uh, no, no. month or two back. Check that one out. Okay. Um, another one of my little two-parters parters that's like, you know, I, I like stories that are like, you know, 20,000 words and an hour to an hour and a half to two hours, that kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, when I first started to do this, what I did was I sat down and, you, and I talked about this with Scott a little bit. Um, there were a series of best ofs that Lester and Judy Lindell Ray put out in the uh, in the seventies, I guess it was. And back then, um, I bought books based on bang for buck. And in the used bookstore, those best ofs were the cheapest and the thickest. 
So I ended up buying all 20 of them. And when like I the, sat the down, best of uh, best of Lester Delbay, best of Isaac Asimov, that sort of thing. Yeah, but he didn't do he didn't do himself, and he didn't do Asimov. He did Cutner, he did Jack Williamson, Robert he Block, did yeah. Phil Dick, Robert Bloch, um, you know, there's a, a Fred Pohl. Yeah, I've got um, a bunch of those myself, and I yeah. I do I I find them that's true as well in the used bookstore. Uh, you can't do better than grab a collection like that. Yeah, so when I first sat down to say, you know, what am I going to read when I was starting with LibriVox, I went to the shelf, and I got those 20 names, and I put them at the top of my list, and I said, anything that comes out by these 20 names gets highest priority, and Henry Cutner's one of them, so <laughs> I, did, I did whatever I could find of his, you know, if it comes out, so... Um, so if you're looking for a method to my madness, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm working off of those 20 names that Lester and Judy Lynn gave me 30 years ago or 40 years ago now. So It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk. Uh, maybe, maybe we're done with this book. Let's talk about uh, uh, future oh, possibilities. Are we, are we done are, with it? I don't okay. know. Do we got more? Well, I just wanted to say that, I'd, I'm, you know, because uh, I'm going to release this episode as uh, my podcast as well, I'm going to give it a really high rating. Not not quite five stars, but again, a four and a half star rating for me, I think, because there was a few small points that, I mean, I, I can't even bring up now about what I didn't like about it, but I think there was a few bits and pieces which I... Uh, I d- now I come to think of it, I can't even think how this book could be improved, but... Um, I, I think you get a better narrator for Connie Willis's introduction, and it's yeah. good. And, Maybe. and her reading is just the the only bad thing, and it's not terrible. It's just not great. I'll go back and l- listen to that again, actually. But, um... Uh, no, I, I, I just think some of the, uh, again, but it's, it's the things that I didn't like about it, which I think it's one of those choices that an author has to make for the better of, you know, the, the, to make the book better. It's like you were saying, Greg, about, oh, there's this hammer thing. It's like, no, he's not going to do this, is he? And, yeah. and also what you were saying, Jesse, is like, oh, he's just talking about his kids. I don't want him to talk about his kids. And then he wins you over. And I think uh-huh. some of those times when I was a little bit frustrated with it, then I realized actually he's saying something here, like by almost, inducing a little bit of frustration in me about this part or that part which is yeah. it is a tricky thing to it's a tricky thing to appreciate in the book because it sounds like i'm a, like being an apologist for a book that i really like by saying oh this isn't very good but it's good because it's not very good in this way whereas in most other books if there was something that wasn't very good i'd just say well that's just a bit shit um yeah. so it's, it's it's a strange it's a strange thing like a strange way to uh, one it. of the one of the ways you can judge a book, I think. Uh, I mean, there's a thousand ways you can do it. One of the ways you can judge it is: did it achieve what it aco- what it set out to accomplish? Um, Definitely, and, absolutely. And so, of course, it did, right? But uh, I, I, there's lots of crappy books that did what they set out to accomplish, and so <laughs> they are. Like, for uh, example, yeah. The Incredible Shrinking Man by Richard Matheson is, you know, is is nowhere near as good as I Am Legend. Not because it didn't achieve what it wanted to do it's just that a man that's shrinking is not a very good target you know it's not right. what would it be like to be a shrinking man well it achieves its target as best as possibly can be imagined right it's an yeah. excellent exploration of that idea it's just that idea is shit right it's it's not a scientific idea it's a psychological idea and uh yeah. all the psychology that i'm interested in is is you know is much better played out in in i am legend than it is in in that book. Anyways, um, not to shit all over that book, but the the thing is, is I think this book achieved it, whatever it was it set out to achieve. It achieved it because I am 
thoroughly impressed. Thoroughly yeah, me too. Me too, so I think man. this is a thumbs up from everyone, and I'm so I'm really glad that other people like recommended it. And then you said we're going to read this book, and I'm like, oh, that's great. So I'm really glad that like the recommendations and your recommendation for this podcast that I did it for this podcast is is really cool. And it's not that long either. How long is it? Um, it's 13 hours, I think. There's an hour, so it's not that's a long good. book. I mean, it's not a short book, but it's not uh, it, it, it's not a hard read. It really does. 15 hours. I'm past. sorry, 13 CDs. Oh, also, I wanted to mention a bit about time passing and also different, you know, a bit about minimum population size and the loss of reading. Did we talk about the loss of reading? I can't remember. It's a little bit, yeah. No, a little bit, not. Yeah, not okay. Well, maybe on I don't the need scale to that. in no, the book. Go for it. No, no. Well, I mean, I, I'm just thinking it's sort of like it really does almost pose the question is like reading, not reading, is it good or bad that people don't read anymore? I mean, I, I, I didn't know quite what i wanted to say on it but i just think it's such an interesting way of of looking at civilization that for for the main character isherwood is uh, ish is um is uh, he's all uh, like for him reading is the most important thing yeah until, and that's, yeah. that's why i'm empathizing with him right <laughs> yeah it's, until about two i don't want to spoil it too much but until about two-thirds of the way through the book and it's not and then even counting isn't that important to him. Not even just reading, like right. Yeah, they you, give up on like, the calendar. I, I think want to they, give that away for goodness' yeah. sake. You're I, just I giving the book away. Huh? <laughs> we'll just we'll just flow over that. I I think that they're trying to separate the stuff you have to learn over and over again, like technique, like the stuff you would learn in books, from the stuff you learn by existing and being with other people and learning how to hunt and doing all those practical skills. And he does a good job of separating those two things and keeping them separate. And when you get to the end of the book, you realize that you can lose the technique because you're just going to learn that over and over and over again. But the skills you need to actually get along on this planet with, you know, the other things that live here are the really important ones. Yeah, right. Like bull dodging. Exactly. Uh, actually, that did bring up one thing, um, uh, but I'm gonna have to do a little bit of research. So, uh, what guys, what books are you guys interested in reading next? I've I've, I've been thinking about Make Room, Make Room. That's a new audiobook available on uh, um, Audible, and I've got a paper book copy as well. Uh, I'll definitely up for any Harry Harrison you want to do. Uh, Luke, you read any Harry Harrison? No, no. <laughs> make room, make room is is famous for its movie. Uh, but um, yes, should we say the name of the movie or sure. ruin it for him? Soylent Green. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know the story. I just don't. I don't okay. ever, I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever read it. Well, just get Charlton Heston out of your head, and you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, it's one of those. It's so it, you're always looking at the imagery from the film and the ideas from the film when you're reading well, it. You, is it? You could probably keep Edward G. Robinson. Get rid of Charlton Heston. So it was Edward G. Robinson's last movie, and he does a good job in it. But but the movie has very the movie has about as much to do with the book as Omega Man had to do with I Am Legend. Yeah, well, I get those all the all the I Am Legend films mixed up anyway. Well, they're the same. They're both based on the same book, Omega yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's the, the, which no, there's like three films. Last Man on Earth. Last Man on Earth. The Omega Man, Man and, and I Am Legend. Legend. Well, based yeah. on my I think uh, closeness to the book, the first one's the best one. Right. Yeah. 
I'm I'm definitely gonna have to. I I read I am Legend before. I'm definitely gonna have to read it again because it keeps coming up in so many different reviews that I want to talk about and different many different things that you know I I I think I need to definitely read I am Legend. Okay, not, I uh, sorry. Uh, I just say I'm not sure. Like for for this podcast for the for the SFF audio like read along podcast, I don't have any suggestions off the top of my head. We've got uh, some stuff on the schedule, but um, yeah. I'm thinking you know for down the road. Yeah, I, no, not really. Um, well, I, I would probably, I mean, you know me, I'd stick some Phil Dick on there. Um, yeah. Uh, Luke, you've been talking about Ubik. Have you done, you yeah, done a review for I'd that? I started, I started, I got two pages into it, but then I've been so busy doing other stuff in my life at the moment. It's just so bonkers crazy. Um, and I've been, you know, doing other stuff and traveling and performing and, and so much that I've been, audio books are really great for that, but like actually carrying around a, a, a normal book, but I don't want yeah. to, it's actually a book that I want to read, you know, rather than listen to, I think. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So, so Ubik, Ubik is the book I give to people to introduce them to Phil Dick. So I think that yeah, would be and that's why I want to do it because I've not reviewed any Philip K. Dick, and I've you know, and and when people, someone said to me, "Oh, what film would you would you no, what film not what film, uh, what what book would you recommend?" and I was just thinking, you know, of some of the best of, of his better known ones. Um, I was thinking, Man in the High Castle, maybe Android Stream of Electric. And, 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 but people say, "No, no, no, not those books." And I'm like, why not? And they're like, no, no, there's much better, more approachable books. And I'm like, right? Yeah. And it's a bit oh, strange that's... that I, I, you, I don't You got to get into his mindset. You got to get into yeah, his head. But once you're in there, you can read anything he wrote. It yeah, doesn't... That's, what, that's the way that I was thinking about it. But Ubik is one that other people said. And, and, there's, uh, a, there's a trilogy at the end of his life, Valis, The Transmigration of Timothy Archer, and uh, The Divine Invasion. And those I would give you last because yeah, right. they're they're – they are incredibly deep, and you do have to know a lot of background stuff. I don't think I've read those. The thing is, all the titles are all weird, and, 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 and it's one of those things. Hey, you know there was this list of all the masterworks. Let me see if I can find this here. Um, While you're doing that, I'm going to talk about uh, Tolstoy. Um, okay. So I, I took a philosophy of art course before I finished university, um, yeah. not because I'm particularly interested in art, but because I... I I find that follow the teachers. I don't follow the course. So if the teacher's teaching, you know, if this guy who's a really great teacher is teaching philosophy art, hey, that's what I'm taking, right? Um, and so I took it, and he, he he talked about Tolstoy and and Tolstoy's ideas about what art was, and it sort of rang rang through uh, to me while I was reading this book. Um, Tolstoy is kind of you know he's got a weird religious experience going on, but he also wrote about how. Um, the only true art is the art of the folk, right? The people on the farm, the people who live in the rustic setting. And, you know, you get out the accordion, you play that accordion for the dance, and you do the wood carving because that's what you do when, you you know, it's a dark night and you can't go out in the rain or whatever. Um, that's the only kind of true art there is. All the other stuff, the ballet and the, uh, uh, you know full orchestra that's not real art that's inauthentic art and i was i was thinking you know he he uh, our main character isherwood has a a feeling uh you know he sort of comes to that belief as well or at least george r stewart does and i thought you know did you guys notice that or is that just me i i did 
sort of noticed that, but my approach to it, I think, is different. I mean, to me, art is an abbreviation of the word artifact, and it just means man-made. So mm-hmm. a nuclear bomb is art to me. So <laughs> I don't, you know. Okay. My my views on art are, are complex, and I have recorded hour-long podcasts of me just talking, especially my views on art. So it's not the kind of thing I want to wrap up now in <laughs> in, in one uh, line. Right, and me neither. I mean, Jesse, you know I make stuff out of glass. So right. Right. Yes, so very, uh, very labor intensive artifacts. My God. Yeah. They're yeah, scary. They're, yeah, they are. They are very scary. It's twenty six hundred degrees in there and uh and we use three or four hundred pounds of molten glass at a time and stuff like that. So um so I do have a lot to say about art, but I'm not saying it here, kids. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm, that's exactly my point as well. I, you know, I, I, there is lots of stuff I could say. Well, about art, well, well let, let me ask you what George R. Stewart is saying about art. Then in this, I book, didn't. I mean, he I, makes to be honest, a, in this he book, makes I quite a big deal about it, about how they're always carving, wood carving, and and in the end, uh, one of the one of the kids near the end, oh, I, I never carving uh, a, a statue, you know, that could have been that Venus, you know, the the stone Venus from uh, I don't know ancient artifacts that you always see in. In books. Oh right, right, right. He's he's creating a fetish. Yeah, yeah he's creating a, a sexy woman uh, or a mother mother figure, or whatever ancient Venus, whatever it is. Um, I mean, I, he's making it out of wood. He's not making it out of stone. But even so, um, that he he's saying something about art, and I'm not sure I grasped it completely. Other than uh, maybe he agrees with Tolstoy. Did you guys? You noticed that thread? Uh, see, I never, I, the thing is, personally, I never picked up on anything to do with art in this book about or what is art or, or yeah. even all the kids, all the kids when they were carving um, and doing all of that. Yeah, I, ne- I never picked up on that as anything to do with art. That was you know. craft to me. It wasn't yeah, art. Yeah, totally for me as well. It was about yeah. them learning skills that might become useful in the future. And it was actually quite good that they started learning how to use tools rather than just pick stuff right. up and just sort of like go to a shop and just find it in a shop. You know, at one point he says, oh, I could have just gone down to a shop and picked this up. But instead I made it myself and I encouraged the kids to make it themselves and it became a game. And, and that kind of thing, absolutely nothing to do with art. I don't think art has a place in this book. I think um, I think you're completely wrong. I mean, okay, uh, look, at, look, look, look at a couple <laughs> of the other symbols. Look at a couple of the other symbols. What do the what do the the young people Jack included use the coins for? Right, they they turn right. what is a, a a mass produced object and smash it away right into uh, a uh, an object, a practical right? use, practical yeah. object. Yeah. But it is of great interest to Isherwood to see whether that. The, the original symbol is still on there. The original face is still on. Right. And it is. Um, and he finds it good, right? Um, the thing is, is that's sort of mass-produced art. There's something going on in here about art. And if you're not seeing it, it's just maybe you need to... I'm not saying you need to read it again. That's stupid. Okay, how about this? I saw it, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's something going on there. I just don't understand it exactly. Well, I, want, I, I think I need to read an essay about it or something. I, I know that what my problem write is, the essay about. is that I don't, have enough. I, don't, I don't have enough material yet. I don't categorize the same way. I mean, a, a, the oldest petroglyph in the world is, I see similarities between that and a Jackson Pollock. So I, I don't make those distinctions in terms of, you know, the art on the coin versus the wood cutting versus the, i mean i do see the wood cutting is craft 
Um, and I don't necessarily see the, the, the Republican art of striking a coin as the, the, the best example of art that you yeah, I, I guess I am trying to draw you guys into a discussion about what art is and I'm sorry about that <laughs> I didn't realize that that's um, okay but if there had been a scene where he you know tried to save a Picasso from the San yeah, Francisco there isn't Art Museum that. you're right it's not right. there Right. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I, I none of the none of the. I think most of all these other things that we're talking about, like the hammer, like superstition, like religion, like race, like all these other different things that we talked about. That's actually something that is isn't just talked about in the book, but it's actually commented on within the book that right. he is making a comment about it. And and uh, there are a few other things that we've picked out of this as well, which we can bring along to it. But I think that. If he was going to talk about art, he would have actually mentioned something about art from the point of view of it's the very, main character. Yeah, he doesn't really say, you know, art, art, art. I think it's nope, one, one never, or two lines. I think there is one or two lines about art that, you know, uses the word. But there is this home craftsmanship. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe it's inevitable in the book about this subject. I don't know. Uh, but I thought there was something there. Even if, even if it wasn't fully formed in the author's mind, it... it it resonated with me for some reason. I'll, I'll Maybe, but then my definition of art also encompasses being formed in the in the author's mind or not. So um, that's <laughs> exactly uh, the rabbit hole. Yeah. And does does the what does the author's intent matter? You know, are we post structuralists? And it doesn't matter anyway. So Jesse, you can see art wherever you want to see it. <laughs> well, I but see, I think I think you talked about if it's made by man, it's an artifact. Well, right. what, what about found art then, right? <laughs> well, um, now, I mean, but Duchamp and those guys, they chose turned stuff right? around it. I mean, they didn't, they didn't just... Right, they turned it upside it. down, yeah. They weren't Julian Schnabel, who puts a, a, a urinal on the wall. They actually had a piece, and within that piece was a found object. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, lines are, are I'm just saying, for me, with, with art, is um, it is almost entirely down to the intention of the artist um, because what I, about the success of that intention that's got to have something to do with it too no because it's no, a two-way it street you, yeah. i can't assume who's going to be looking at my art and what they're going to be thinking i just have to assume the guy that consumes it is able to understand it on that level if you if you pick another level that i never intended that's okay it's just not what i intended Okay, uh, the computer software program that that writes the novel that's enjoyable enough that you know that yeah. I mean that, then we can start talking about AI. I think there is some uh, we maybe we just have to do a whole separate podcast about art. I don't know. You know I, I don't know. You need to you need to check out Aristotle's Poetics because that's what that that's, program is based on, and it's a, it's a simple. It's like eighty pages. It's really yeah. easy. Go through it, and you will see the formula for virtually every movie you've ever seen. Okay? I mean, it'll just all come clear to you all at once. Just go get Poetics and read it. Everybody in Hollywood works off that that exact same formula, and a lot of the same thing goes on in writing, too, except you have guys that try to stretch the envelope because they don't care as much about making money. But, um, you know, you've got three acts, and it's either a tragedy or a comedy, and it's either, you know, I mean, you, it all boils down to this very simple set of procedures and we make that same thing over and over again uh, how many times has the seven samurai been made and the the point too many is, 
Well, the point is that that plot strikes a chord with folk, with the common folk. You're getting back to <laughs> You're your folk back to art. The folk people, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm headed with it. And uh, so you, we will see the Seven Samurai made at least, you know, 50 more times before we die. I, I guarantee it. Well, I, I, I think Yojimbo's been made enough, too, and I don't know. True. Well, all the Kurosawa... Um, if no, uh, there's a couple of Kurosawa I haven't seen yet, so I, I can't say. There's one where there's a kidnapping. I'd, I'd love to see that one. I haven't seen that yet. But I, I think there's some, some stuff out there. Yeah, I guess Hidden Fortress. Okay, it's all being remade. Got it. How about, how about Rashomon? How many times yeah. have you seen okay. Rashomon? Okay, okay. Yep. I was just saying, for the, the Seven Samurai, I watched that, and I thought it was so slow and boring that I was actually really pleased to find out that I could watch it at double speed and then the <laughs> subtitles would still work on the DVD player so I could just get through it. It was on two DVDs. It was one of the most tedious films I've ever sat through, but I thought, oh, I have to sit through it because, you know, everyone talks about it. And, and, uh, and I just didn't find it enjoyable at all. But then again, that's just me. So that's another question on the, on, the sh- on the chart, right? Is, is Seven Samurai one of the greatest movies you've ever seen? No, and, it's, it's it's no, but that's the question. Not, that's the question that you know is the test. Is should you be my friend? Is if you answer yes to this, then then well, well, maybe I'm not sure. But see, but see, the way is it, it would be an aggregate, right? It's it's like the diagnostic test for uh, for depression, right? So if if you answer too many of the questions wrong, then I say, okay, this is not going to work out. We probably should be friends. Mm. All right. Okay. Because I'll put one on the, the list. Um, I think the the film version, David Lynch's Dune, is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. I can't tell you how many people agree with me. Maybe three in the entire universe? I think it's true. I, I, you, you got four. Okay. I think it's, it's a top-notch movie. But as far as The Seven Samurai and that sort of thing is concerned, you've got to think about these things in context, okay? Uh, I Let's say I like, you know, like, for example, I, I like Laurel and Hardy, okay? And they were the first guys to do what they did. Now, a far more acceptable version of Laurel and Hardy is Gilligan and the Skipper. Oh, no. But they're not, well, they were far more popular. They've been on TV longer. They're still in reruns, okay? So th- the fact of the matter is that we're talking about the first guy to do the thing. And Kurosawa yes. was the first guy to do the of Seven course. Samurai thing. The, the, the Magnificent Seven may be better because it was focused and aimed at us. But in terms of him being the first guy to come up with this universal plot that appeals to virtually every creature on the face of this earth, that's a tremendous achievement. And, and so I would definitely consider it one of the best movies I ever saw. But I agree with Luke that it drags now to my eyes in 2010. Yeah. Um, but I do not take anything away from it because it was the first time that was done. And you've got these guys like Kurosawa and Fellini and George R. Stewart. George R. Stewart basically invented the disaster novel. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you think about it, and, and, and it's so much better than, you know, Airport 77. So, I, 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 I think the big takeaway for me on this is I, I want to read more George R. Stewart. I know none of his other stuff is science fiction, um, but that doesn't really bother me. If, no, if he, it's anywhere as good as this. Catalog. Yeah. There's one other yeah. audiobook out there uh, available from Blackstone, and I'm not sure what it's about, but I was thinking of getting that. Yeah, he's, he's, he will never let you down in terms of being interesting. You may disagree with him, but he's got an amazing catalog, fiction, nonfiction, everything he did, very 
jack of all trades kind of renaissance guy and um yeah you should definitely check him out more cool this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com 